0: This is an ABC podcast. Hello, I'm Ann Jones and this is Off Track, the ABC program of Nature Delights. This week as a part of National Science Week, Off Track producer Joe Kahn is catching up with a scientist she first met in 2019 to get the latest on Melbourne's urban powerful owls. Here's what they got up to last time when they went searching for the big predator in the bushy outskirts of Melbourne.
1: It's funny, no I mean, how many times you do this, there's no. It, it is intimidating holding one of these things, eh? I mean, it looks quite small in the hand in a sense, but actually, yeah. when they're sitting above you, they're a huge bird, eh? Oh, just give us a sec, I'll just try and find her wings. There we go. Beanie's still on. <laughs>
2: We could be out in the middle of the bush, but we're actually only 25 kilometres northeast of Melbourne as the crow flies. You field. Field this is the suburb of Warrandyte.
1: Watch your footing around here. Bit, um, there's rocks with big crevices across there, so. So dry out here at the moment.
2: Associate Professor John White is a wildlife ecologist at Deakin University in Melbourne. We're walking through the scrub near Stony Creek in Warrandyte, and up into a pine forest. A golden whistler is calling in the background, and we're looking for Australia's biggest owl, the powerful
1: owl. Owl vomit. Hmm. have been spending a lot of time here. You know. Just... Well, that sort of white, that white there. Yeah. The white spark there. So all of these little bits, you know, these grey bits are all just yeah. vomit. The white bits are poo. I do the size of that pellet. That's a, re, you know, regurgitated pellet. So that's pellet, the, just the vomit. Yeah, so that's the bones and the fur that, of whatever the hell they happen to have eaten, so.
2: It looks like what I pull out of my vacuum sometimes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so. minus
1: the bones. <laughs> But yeah, there's some huge pellets there and things.
3: Yeah, there was a pellet I found yesterday with some beetle exoskeletons on it. So yeah, they eat all sorts of things, whatever's abundant at the time. Well, we better get set up. Uh, Yeah, I agree, Nick.
2: Nick Bradsworth is a PhD student investigating Melbourne's urban powerful owls. All the owl vomit and poo suggests that they are here, even though we couldn't spot them roosting in the tall pine trees. Nick, John and their volunteer Adam aren't just here to look for the owls. They want to catch one and put a GPS tag on it so that they can follow its movements around Melbourne's fringe. Unsurprisingly, it's quite difficult to catch an adult powerful owl. They can get up to 1.6 kilos and have talons that can cut through bone. But Deakin University ecologist and research team leader Raylene Cook has been practicing for the last two decades.
4: I started working on powerful owls in my honours year back in 1995. They're a big bird, and they're sort of that browny-white in colour. They've got the chevrons on that chest. They also are, are characteristics of the Ninox, which the powerful owl is a Ninox owl, um, is the bright yellow eyes. The talons are huge. They're basically sort of the size, potentially, of a small child's hands, and trying to handle them, they are very terrifying. <laughs> My first trip out to actually look at them, we knew that there was at least one bird out at Warrandite, And so it was sort of, let's go out and see if this bird's got a partner, which that bird did. And so that turned out to be a breeding pair. And at that stage, we were interested to know what they eat. So there's sort of been a lot of photos and, I guess, history showing that they had possums as their sort of their main diet. And we know that they eat about 250 to 300 of them a year. So in terms of the actual catcher, they will swoop in... um, with their talons, they'll grab the, the neck, they'll break the neck and they usually eat the head first. Okay, so what you then see quite often the next day is a bird sitting in the tree, uh, an owl sitting in the tree with the, um, the headless possum basically sitting up in the branch.
2: What the team really want to find out now is how the owls move in the highly fragmented urban landscape, which means they need to follow the owls and they need to catch and tag them and this requires a large net to be set up. So, what is John doing with the
3: the bow? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, we do get some very funny looks as we 're walking into urban reserves in Melbourne, uh, but John had just fired a arrow with fishing line attached to it, and the fishing line it, is just our first line that goes over.
2: They shoot the lines into the canopy of two tall eucalypts on either side of the drainage channel that we're standing in. Once the lines go over, one end is attached to a corner of the net and the other to a fishing reel and line. When the net is hoisted up using the pulley system, it's about 12 metres across and 8 metres high.
3: We really try and cover off the canopy as best as we can, because they're canopy foragers. They'll move through the canopy to to hunt for prey. And if we can get it to that height, then they're unlikely to go over the top. The owls love to perch on some of these dead open branches that you can see up there and behind us as well. So basically we'll have megaphones perpendicular to the net and quite close into the net as well, because we don't want them to fly too far um, past the net. So we'll try and encourage them into some of these trees here, which are about 10 metres next to us. And those movements should hopefully intersect with the net.
2: The net is lowered back to the ground until it gets darker. All we can do for the moment is watch and wait. Over the years studying powerful owls Raylene Cook has figured out exactly what they need in order to call a place home.
4: They essentially need three main things to inhabit an area so they need a a nest tree, a roost tree and something to eat. They don't need a tree hollow to roost in unlike other Australian owls. A lot of them do roost inside a hollow or a cavity during the daytime and their roost trees can be sort of Anything that provides enough structure for them. They love the natives, they love the, the wattle trees and they love the, the eucalypt species. But in saying that they also use introduced species as well, quite often there being things like pines and willows and stuff like that as well. In terms of the nest trees, they need a hollow that is big enough that will have the mum, the female inside, plus hopefully two babies. And so these hollows we find are usually around about a metre in depth. They're in eucalypt species. How hard is it for them to be able to find a eucalypt with a hollow that big? It's pretty tough in the urban areas and so um, that I guess you sort of Go back through time, and with so much development that's happened throughout our urban areas, we've cleared a lot of those big old trees. So, we find that the ones that are remaining are in our riparian strips, okay, and they're sort of very common along places like our area rivers, along our waterways. It's, they are an essential element for powerful owls for survival, and so it's sort of really important that we sort of can maintain these trees as best we can.
2: You're listening to Off Track. I'm Joe Kahn and today we're waiting for a big bird that still lurks throughout Melbourne's suburbs and city, the powerful owl. Once the sun drops behind the hills of Warrandyte and the hazy sky fades to a pinky grey, the insects come out and the team get their owl-catching game faces on.
1: We'll just put out these sequence of calls now for a while just to, if the birds are around, um, just to alert them to us being here. And hopefully what that does is the first flight and the night's in our direction as opposed to away.
2: With two megaphones pointing out into the bush in opposite directions, Nick plays a selection of powerful owl calls into the night hoping to attract the residents.
1: And then you know, during the night we might muck around with different calls. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, these guys were sort of still had chicks with them, but they, they really should be gone by now. So um, they then become responsive to the calls of chicks because they don't want chicks in their territory. They're about to start now getting sorted out to go into this year's breeding season. So they're actually actively chasing their chicks away.
2: I feel like a lot of people could relate to that.
1: Oh, yeah, I know. It's like it's the empty nester type thing. Yeah, it's kind of... You know, these guys actually have to, yeah, physically get rid of their kids before they turn one. So, well, well before they turn one. And the kids are pretty, you know, the chicks are incredibly demanding on them too. You know, they're flying around, squealing after them, trying to get possum off them and things.
2: While the adult powerful owls are one of the few owls to make that typical hoot hoot call, the chicks make what is called a trill. This is a recording of a chick call that Nick is playing out into the bush. But soon, Nick thinks he can hear a real chick nearby.
3: It's way up the back there somewhere. I've heard it two or three times. I was questioning myself. Yeah, male. Oh, yeah, male.
2: So the chicks are around here somewhere, and the male adult is calling. It's not long before the owls fly in our direction.
3: Oh, coming across, uh, that'll be an adult.
1: OK, have a speaker.
3: So that's great, we've got both adults really close by with the nets set up. The male is calling, there's a chick calling, it's all happening. But that's what we want. We want to get their interest nice and early. Oh. Males just come in wow. right above us. Very interested in the calls.
2: God, they're huge. Yeah.
3: So we're playing the calls nice and quiet because the owls are so close. We don't want them to fly too far away. Just trying to encourage them to fly basically from one tree to another. Oh, straight over the top, the female.
2: (laughs) You can just hear one of the adult owls call in response to the playback.
3: Up there which is interesting.
2: The owls just sit there, listening to the different calls Nick is alternating through the speakers.
3: Is she interested? Yeah, she's preening she's looking between the male and the speaker.
2: And then finally, she flies towards the net.
3: Yes, drop. Yeah. Um, just yeah. helping me with the plant, please. Right. Um, beanie yeah, in beanie my bag, beanie. someone. Adam, can you reach into the beanie and pop your head torch on if you can, please? I don't think it's We're
1: probably going to want to go eventually. I not know. Wait, sorry. That's uh, she flew into that's... that side, right? So she's going to come out that way, isn't she? I'll just, just get help this on to...
3: Or just, um, the, uh, just on her eye. Somehow, maybe just... Across her beak. Okay. Okay. Yeah, if we can release some of that tension, yeah, Adam, trying. if you can help with maybe the other talon, please. Yeah. Just, just, just be really... She's pulling it... Oh, damn!
1: Oh! And the beanie on, please. Sorry, Look, that is the biggest bake. She's really,
3: really strong. Strong. Yeah. You okay? Yeah, she's just. To bring no, no. things to you? Yeah, well,
1: where do you want me? Oh, you've got um, a seat set up, up, have you? Sorry. Yeah, up, yeah. That sounded desperate, didn't it?
2: They managed to catch a particularly powerful, powerful owl, and it did take a little while to untangle her and her talons from the net. John sits in a camping chair and holds the owl while Nick prepares to attach the GPS tag. The owl is so beautiful up close, and even though I'm not holding her, I can feel and sense her strength as she moves and contracts her claws.
1: Wow. She was a very... She, for a female, mm. an incredible... Usually, I would have sworn from her behaviour, she's male. You know, for yeah. the few that have been really, really strong and, mm. and going at it like that. the length of those tail feathers. Uh, you know, for that aerial that's coming down, it's their long, long tail feather. And they're fairly new, unfortunately, which means she's going to hold this. Um, I'll take it back off. Yeah, but I haven't got her wings, that's all. Yeah. Just give us a sec. I'll just try and find her wings. There we go. Beanie's still on. <laughs> what Nick's done is just turned on the um, radio transmitter component of this the thing so we set the GPS up and programmed that before. That's the radio tracker on now and that just allows us to find the bird.
3: We're just exposing the tail feathers now as the GPS device is attached to the two most central tail feathers. We try and get the tracker up as high as we can. You can really see how long those feathers are when they when you can see the body. There's that little oil gland right up the top there. That's oh. what they'll use to oh. um, preen their wings with the oil and waterproof their feathers. So we want to be away from that as well.
2: Is that, is that bone
3: I mean? No, it's just that you can touch it if you want. <laughs> It's like a fleshy. Um, yeah, definitely. Skin. I know, thanks. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Come on, just put just
2: She's been weighed and measured, and Nick has carefully glued, tied, and taped the small tracking unit onto the top of two of her tail feathers. It's time to let her go. Okay, I'm
3: going to try for it, Nick. What do you reckon? Can I get onto stable the ground? Maybe up into those trees there. Yeah, okay, cool. I'll need someone to take the beanie off, please. You think? Yeah, so when you take the beanie
1: off, just step. Of take like... it off and step back, and then. Say when.
3: Yeah. Oh, I think you got that, John. So you can hear the the signal on the receiver here. So, the owl's still hanging around. Oh, there she is, yeah. <laughs> Sitting in the tree. She'll she'll probably sit there for a little while. Um, she might have a pick at the tracker, have a preen, realign her feathers.
2: <laughs> How far did she fly that night? What type of route did she take over the trees and houses? Well, it's nearly two years since Nick and John caught that owl in Warrandyte. So I thought I'd give Nick a call and ask if he did find out where that owl went and how she liked to spend her nights.
3: When you came out, Joe, to help us catch that owl, unfortunately we weren't able to catch the owl back. So we tried, tried and tried again, but at the end of the day, we just have to put the animal welfare first and just leave them be.
2: The tracker that Nick attached to the owl's tail feathers was a type of GPS logger that you have to retrieve to be able to get the data off. And for that particular owl, they never got the data back. But don't worry, the tracker will fall off when she next molts her tail feathers. They ended up getting trackers on a total of 21 powerful owls, each tracker giving a location data point every 20 minutes throughout the night which means Nick can then use the sequence of positions to look at how they're moving.
3: We discovered that they had three different movement types, eating and a foraging stage and a transitory stage. And we found that they were more likely to be in a prey handling or eating stage earlier on in the night, where they might be hungry after having gone over 12 hours without food. And then as the night progressed, they seemed to go into these longer movement phases. When owls come up against areas like high-density residential urban areas and agriculture, they just jump really quickly over those areas because there doesn't have the habitat for them. This is an arboreal hunting species, so they won't land in a grassy paddock to eat a rabbit, say trees are so important for their movement and in particular they were moving up and down river systems as well often river systems and the associated vegetation with river systems are the only natural vegetation left in urban environments
2: so they need trees big ones and vegetation all linked together but how much space do they need to live happily
3: the owls on average uh, covering about four kilometres square of space. That's about 400 hectares. That's the equivalent of 200 MCGs put together. So it's actually quite a decent amount of space in an urban environment. And when you consider the spaces that they are covering, they're, they're travelling and, and spending a lot of time on private property. Within their home range, they've also got a core range. And that's the part of their home range that is so important to their survival. If any part of their core range is impacted, then we risk losing that pair in that area. And so core ranges on average were 84 hectares in size. So that's compared to 400 hectares for their overall home range. So again, it's a much smaller amount of space. But within that core range is going to be those resources that are so important to their survival.
2: Once you move further out from the core area, the owls can put up with a bit more disturbance, things like more houses and roads. But the size of a home range for an individual bird will depend on how much green space they can access.
3: Smaller home ranges are more likely to occur in an area that is covered by trees, so it has really dense trees and when we start getting into other areas that are more dry, a couple
0: of sites that I've studied down along the Morningston Peninsula, some of their ranges
3: comparatively are really large. And that's because they don't have as much habitat there for them and they're having to connect up limited fragmented patches So they're using the tree lines that are bordering paddocks to move through and jumping from very isolated patches of bush to meet those same resource requirements.
2: If you have better habitat, you don't need to go as far to get what you need. And one of the things powerful owls definitely do need are roosting trees.
3: They can use several different roosts at any one time. Some of them will routinely use the same roost every single day. (laughs) In general, they they really like dense roosting sites. So by dense, I mean a thick canopy cover in the trees. So they will roost in understory vegetation, things like wattles. Blackwood wattles are great in Melbourne. They're really just looking for some way that they can hide during the day to avoid mobbing from noisy miners, carawongs, kookaburras and grey busher birds, I've all seen mobbing powerful owls. I found that they were actually using 32 different tree species to roost in around Melbourne, 23 native and nine exotic species. So they are using a whole host of different tree species to roost in. And the fact that they're using exotic species as well just goes to show that they're very adaptable. They are just looking for that spot to hide during the day.
0: Aren't we all? That was Nick Bradsworth speaking with off-track producer Joe Kahn. And if you're wondering if a powerful owl has flown over your house looking for a spot to rest and what you might be able to do to help it out, Nick says the main thing that you could do is keep big old trees healthy. The powerful owl needs nesting hollows in trees that are usually over a 100 years old. And there's another thing you can do to help all Australian owls. You can be a citizen scientist and take part in this year's ABC Science Week interactive project, Hoot Detective. Scientists have been capturing the sounds of the night from ecosystems all over the country and they need you to help listen and identify owl calls. Find out how to get involved and listen to owls at hootdetective.net.au. Thanks for listening to Off Track. I'm Ann Jones and make sure to meet me here with your head torch next time because that's when I'll take you somewhere else.
3: Ready? Yeah. Smile at the camera. Alright. Yeah,
1: yeah. You
3: oh, she's looking at me. <laughs> she's staring at yeah. me. Okay, Joanne, get closer. <laughs> she's staring at me. No, she's looking at me. Okay. <laughs> it's it's apparently it's your fault, Joe. She likes me. She's gonna go. She's gonna go. Put it back on, quick, quick, quick. <laughs> Alright. Yeah, we Did you get anything, man?
2: That's my terrified smile. <laughs> I'm having fun, but I'm a bit scared too.
0: (laughs) You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.